Can you hear me now? Welcome to the Screen Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. For this month's podcast, we're going to explore headless CMS. No, this is not a new genre of horror video games. Headless CMS is a content management system that is the back end of your website and that is front end independent and provides content over an API. For this podcast, we are honored to have Simon from Sanity.io. He is the CTO and co-founder of the company, which is one of the larger headless CMS platforms. With an extensive background in product design, software architecture, and broad-spectrum tinkering, Simon has all the right experience to co-found a headless CMS platform. So Simon, of all the products you could have developed, why did you start a headless CMS platform? Uh, we didn't actually want to. Like, we had no desire to have a tech startup at all. We were we were having a, a really great little uh, agency in Norway, uh, and we had just had our international breakthrough, uh, working for dream clients like MIT, the OMA, which is a fantastic architect, international architectural agency, Dilder and Scofidio in New York. Like, we had fantastic customers, and and for these customers, we we. We hadn't worked with really content-intensive projects for a long time. We did like very bespoke like innovation work for media companies and stuff like that. But now we were kind of back in that world where you need to create a lot of content. You need to give people tools to create that content. And we wanted to, uh, as an agency, wanted to be able to really invest in that editorial experience. And then we wanted to be able to reuse that content for example, for the OMA, we wanted to create their website, but we also wanted to create internal business development tools. We knew they were creating a lot of books, so we wanted to kind of have a design system that basically can extract books from that same content. And at that time, we just expected, because it had been like a number of years since we last looked at like WordPress and Google Type and all of these systems, and we were kind of expecting them to, of course, have evolved the way a lot of enterprise software had evolved, like being careful with separating uh, presentation from data modeling, from business logic. We had cleaned up a lot of stuff in, in the software stack during those years, uh, going moving to microservices and stuff like that. So we just expected at that time that any content system would, on one hand, let you really customize the authoring experience like you can with WordPress and stuff like that, but still have the content be stored in a hosted backend as a software as a service, just handled by someone else, and that system be a proper database, like not some pared down content API, but like a proper solid database that you can integrate into your enterprise stack. That's what we just expected to exist. And to be very honest, this is <laughs> admitting to a, some recklessness. We just expected so much to actually sold and priced the job, the first one, before we had checked. And then we basically had to create Sanity in kind of anger and frustration. <laughs> we did that. We kept working with that kind of internal tool for a number of projects. And then some more customers started saying, you know, this system you're using, what is it? We can't buy that. It's so good. And then we realized we just needed to invert our business model and become the company that makes that system. 
Uh, but that's kind of also touching on some of the of the the kind of needs this is uh, handling for us. So this is this is us basically just needing that thing to exist. Okay, well, the the best business models are usually that you are trying to solve a need uh, that you are experiencing in whatever you're trying to do. So that is actually a very solid uh, background for business. And congratulations on on succeeding and at least getting it to a, a level where it is now a viable business. You're, you're solving a basic business problem that you internally were having, but then you had to switch your thinking to. What are the other problems that a person who's using a headless CMS system might encounter? How did you go about trying to figure out how to craft the, the product and add feature sets that go outside of your basic experience uh, from the, the, the platforms that you're using or the projects you were developing? So we as an agency, I mean, you get this is kind of a, the, the fantastic thing about being an agency. You get this kind of, you get to, to it's almost like a safari. You just move into these companies, you drop in, uh, you solve some problems. You really get to see the kind of business from their perspective. I have this kind of like uh, active Stockholm syndrome when I'm working as a consultant, where I just kind of, I become my customer. I see the world through their eyes and I just make their desires and pain, pains my own. Uh, so we had done that a lot. So I'd seen uh, the world from like the media company perspective, seen everything that we tried to do for them that we couldn't do because of limitations in the CMS. We'd work with kind of marketing organization, realizing like this is so hard, like you need to move, you really, you really need to move fast. You need, you want to get things out quickly, but then, and in the past, when we were working with television or paper, you just make a new campaign. You just go and do it. But with digital, you have to kind of, oh, you have to order a new kind of like developers have to work for months with this new feature. I just wanted that new campaign uh, out to sell my 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 GPS watches. And, uh, and we were kind of uh, feeling that pain from their perspective. So we, one of the things that we knew about was this kind of, this, we kept meeting the CMS as something that, stopped us from like doing the things we wanted for our customers. It was always like, oh, no, we can't add like a workflow to the CMS. It's impossible. Or, you know, the CMS, it, uh, when the, a journalist is in a story, it's locked. So you're like, or your automated systems for updating things will not work because like sometimes the story is locked. Uh, and we were like, oh, this is so, so terrifyingly annoying. So when we made Sanity, we just made a list of all of these things that had infuriated us in the past. Uh, it it was about being able to control the editorial experience, being making sure you can add workflows that are not necessarily always about the content. It could be about something related to it, but you just want it there at the same place because this matters where, like how many places a, a, an editor will have to go. It was also about being able to integrate with other systems. We felt that a lot of CMSs were, they believed themselves to be the business. And very often you're not a content company, you're a bank and your CMS is handling like content inside your your banking system, we felt that our system should be one that really meshed with the other systems in your in your stack. So these are things that we, so we basically used our empathy from from being frustrated uh, innovation uh, 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 a frustrated innovation agency, and just put all of that into the product. There are a lot of headless CMS platforms out now. Uh, I don't know how much a lot is, but when doing the research, there, there's definitely a bunch of uh, different headless CMS platforms. If you're uh, a product owner or a lead tech lead developer, and you're looking at what 
headless CMS systems, uh, I'm going to focus on you're an agency and you want to, you know, have your developers use headless CMS in projects. How do you go about, uh, you know, evaluating the different headless systems? Why are there different? What are the differences? And maybe you can talk a little bit about why Sanity is different from the rest of them. Hmm. Yeah, because I'll be totally unbiased, right? No, I think that uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> no, but I think what like in in one sense I'm very unbiased because I can't, like Sanity exists because we saw these pains. It's not like it's not like we made the system and then tried to find like a, a a customer base for it. So in one sense, what what we were looking for, what was important to us, and I think what you should be asking if you're trying to solve a content problem right now is like, how fast can I get to value? With each of these systems, and then, uh, and that's that should be of course the core. Like how how fast can I deliver the value I need uh, with the team I have, or like with the minimal addition of team. So like with my total cost of ownership to the point where I'm starting to do the thing I'm trying to do. And then I think you should do a little bit of uh, role playing with yourself and imagine like what are some of the things I'm going to be needing later, because uh, even if you're totally pragmatic, totally tactical. There is a strategic element to your choice, and I think one of the things I've always been uh, preoccupied with as an engineer, uh, with that part of my mindset, is engineering is a lot about preserving opportunity. Like we need to have a system where we can capture opportunity when we realize what it is. That flexibility needs to be part of our my, my thinking. I need to be able to pounce on an opportunity, and that's engineering's job in a sense to to be to keep that ability in the systems. And that's where I feel that uh, headless in itself as a, an approach is very strong. But that's also why how I would kind of I would work with my my kind of product uh, people, or if I am the product person, I would go into that place in my mind. Like, what what are some of the things we might be wanting to do later, and then role play or play act with the or even prototype something. Like, figure out like what how hard would this be to do with these different systems. Uh, that we are con considering because I think that is the big differentiator. That's when you see, like, yes, a lot of like Squarespace would beat most systems in terms of tactical ability, right? Like getting to be able to start selling your your wares, uh, like like just a landing page. Maybe Squarespace or Wix would just always win, but it's a reason that we don't use those. And I feel, yeah, that should be your mindset: cost of uh, getting to value and then cost of uh, staying responsive. Opportunity. Philosophically, how are you building sanity? It seems like efficiency is a core value of that process of developing the, the product. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would say like, we, we have an internal word that we're kind of trying out a little bit. Uh, we call it content velocity. And it kind of captures that. It's kind of like uh, from the moment you know about something, like you know about the problem or an opportunity or a challenge, to you're able to, to kind of respond to that in terms of your content. Uh, that's your content velocity. And that might be in like just your CMS. Like you see your CMS set up to respond to this new signal in the market. Like all your sandwiches are sold out across all of North America. How do you respond to that? Can you put that content out? Can you get to social? Can you get to your front pages immediately? And then uh, if you if your kind of product team discovers a new opportunity, like, oh, if we had celebrity endorsements on, in our big box uh, e-commerce uh, store, uh, that would really work. We tested it like once it works, how fast can we solve that? Like, like for real, add it to our content systems, into our frontends, and get it out. And then when it doesn't work as we expected, how fast can we iterate on that? 
that kind of velocity, uh, I guess that translates to that that notion of, of efficiency you're talking about. And it's it's definitely something, one of our first post-it notes when we started framing sanity was this like getting to value in seconds, and then it should make sense to keep investing. I think one of the, the things that uh, you touched on that was actually kind of interesting was about workflows, about content workflows. We build a lot of uh, uh, websites for our clients. And, you know, they they just assume that the back end of the website is just going to handle whatever content they, they have in their mind. Sometimes we have to actually work with them to try to draw them out as to what type of content you really want to provide, what type of content are you really going to be doing on the website. Most people stick with a standard format of, of blogs or blog posts, but now blog posts are getting quite complicated, including video and other mediums. Uh, and then they want to share it to all the different social medias. So when they put it on the website, it has to be able to integrate with everything else and push it all out. And it's almost becoming a, a multi-platform content system versus a content system for just managing content on a website. I assume when you were putting together Sanity, you were running into the same issues with workflow. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you built into Sanity the ability to utilize these workflows and to push content out to other areas besides just the website. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Like the, that's one of the, like, like I said, like one of the first customers that we worked for were like having to support both uh, websites uh, and uh, internal business development, but also like paper books, which is a very, a very different medium. You can't have links. Uh, your, 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 your locations needs to be rendered as like uh, images of maps and, uh, and stuff like that. So it's a, so what we, our thinking was uh, the CMS should be for like an editor. It should appear as something so totally obvious. Like it should just be, uh, it should just be uh, a very helpful, intuitive. an intuitive way of creating content. You shouldn't know that you are creating structured content. That shouldn't be any of your like. You shouldn't be concerned with that fact. But the way we designed it behind the scenes is like when you then have, for example, let's say you have a blog post or like a text in your, let's say you're running a, a set of resorts and you're having travel tips for like an island in Greece or something. And, and, and your texts are full of locations. They're mentioning locations. So in a traditional CMS, you would add like images of maps and you would draw on them. And if you're kind of clever, you'd add like URLs to, to Google Maps or something so people could link to their, to their, to their maps. In Sanity, we said, like, actually, it's important that text and data is the same kind of thing. You should be able to say, like, a text is the number of paragraphs, but also it can have locations. And those locations are actually structured data. Like, you know, as a developer, you know, paragraph, paragraph, okay, location. And now I can react to that. I can decide, okay, I want to render a map. Uh, I want to use Mapbox, this beautiful style. I'll render this marker. And then later, someone figures out in the product team, you know what? People aren't actually looking for these by resort. They are looking for them by area of, of like this island. So you want to put all of them in a map. And now, because you structured that content, now that team can, without redoing any content, without talking to anyone, creating a new API or anything, you can just do a new query, extract all of those locations. Uh, and now we have a map of those same stories. Uh, and this is kind of what we were going for. We want to. Uh, because this cross-media thing that you're talking about, like, yes, pushing things to all the different mediums, it is the same thing. It's the same problem as using your content in new contexts, even on the same site. It's not that value 
you get it even when you're just using your, your existing content in a new way on your existing site. And also a different uh, situation where you reuse your content is when you redesign your site. If your content is actually prints, like designed in a structured way with like the way we define this is uh, structured content is like, you know what each piece of content means. Like this has a sem clear semantics, as you would say, technically. Now your designers can create rules and then your content creators can work without worrying about how it looks. And you can reuse the content. And one of those things can be your, your redesigner, your slight iteration, not having to go back. Actually, the book came up later in that project. It was a late addition. We, we did that without changing our content model at all. We had already everything we, knew we needed. We just worked with a design agency creating design rules for that book, and it was done. And now the team creating the content, their output is multiplied by this ability to extract that work in several different ways. But they are doing the same work in a, just a better tool. So, so workflows is like one thing is kind of that putting content in, structured content being principled, and you can kind of have, like, we call it like a content responsive design. That's one aspect of that. The other side of it is like being able to integrate workflows from other systems or that are not like adjacent to what you're making. So one of the things we discovered in this first product was that on Instagram, there was actually take like beautiful pictures of those buildings every day uh, taking because they are building these fantastic kind of monumental buildings all over the world. And the best pictures actually of those buildings are like not of the building. It's like someone taking a picture of their girlfriend in front of that building. It's a much better capture <laughs> of that. <laughs> And then we already had all of the locations of the buildings because it was structured content. And then uh, my co-founder, Evan, discovered that Instagram had a search API. And uh, we knew that if we just did this as a, like in the past with other systems, we would have to have built like a separate system for this. But with Sanity, we could then just, just build that Instagram curation ability just into the CMS. So when people were like driving by to do their regular job, we would remind them like there are 700 new Instagram pictures. We would just curate them for it, just score them just quickly. And by doing that, we would just have like hundreds of great new Instagram pictures in that um, in that site every day. So uh, we have a different customer that is doing bike share, and this is an example of that where like the workflow of managing bike share logistics. It's not related to the content specifically. The, the company is not about content. The content, of course, is important to them. Using Sanity, they were able to stitch together the workflows that are about the bikes and the workflow that's about the content. And their kind of day-to-day uh, -day, uh, people working with that don't have to kind of think so much about the distinction. Am I going to the content system? Am I going to the logistics system? It's the same system. If you're talking about a headless CMS, you're 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 obviously talking about a CMS system that is different than what we would call the normal CMS system. Most people, I think, experience a CMS system usually as the back end of WordPress. That's probably one of the most common CMS systems. But I know there's a lot of uh, CMS systems, and there's a lot of enterprise level CMS systems as well. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what is the difference between this kind of standard view of a CMS and how is headless CMS different and, and maybe what are the advantages and disadvantages of both? Hmm. So I would say straight up like the, the main, I mean, the only reason you wouldn't use a headless CMS would be uh, the simplicity of having everything run together as one thing, like setting up one piece of software 
it having both the kind of rendering engine and the kind of editing system in the same thing is uh, it's very simple at least the first kind of few hours and maybe the first days or, or so it's it's kind of takes a little bit of time to to, to pay back so uh i think why a lot of javascript developers immediately go for a headless image is just because the front-end technologies really evolve really fast and you want to you want to really explore that you want to you want to reap that benefit and if you have that kind of tied to a, a CMS, there's no way the CMS can move fast enough for that. Like you just want to be able to pick the technology that's appropriate for you and connect that to your content. And that's just being a separate thing. So that's kind of driving this a lot uh, in, initially. That kind of having it be se several channels and stuff kind of is thing unlocks that come later. Uh, and, and, and so so I think that 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 level of simplicity is the is the most important one. Um uh a benefit so so in a in a in a business sense there's almost two levels of of prospective users. You know, you have these uh users which is basically very small business, startup, one person operations, they want to put up a website, they'll go to WordPress because it's all kind of one package and they don't really have to learn a lot except, you know, maybe find a theme and, and run a back end. But then you have the other client, which is somebody who is really developing websites, either as an agency or as a independent person or as a business person says, I have time to, to learn how to do front end and learn how to use a headless CMS system. And then obviously you have agencies and businesses that also, if they had to pick one, they would probably go for headless because it allows for a speed of development and uh, I guess more of an advanced feature set. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say like uh, one, of the, one of the things that we, in our kind of uh, education and outreach work, uh, this is what we see a lot, like that expectation. It's kind of driven a lot by like, I think the key word was what you're familiar with. Like you, there is a level of course of investment that is not, uh, just learning a new system, it's an investment. Uh, let's say given that uh, people have the same level of familiarity, then then what would be the benefit? And what then why would you choose like a more traditional, what we would call a monolithic, like a singular system? Uh, and that's when it becomes a more, more, more tricky. I uh, my, my personal view from having used both and, and, and kind of like in anger creating sanity was that it's, 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 it's the the time to trouble with the monolithic system is very short. It feels like it's like tactically, tactically kind of uh, beneficial, but actually, the, the that's what you often see with like in in situations where where certain people think it's this is a very tactical, very simple problem. Very often, like developers and the designers know, like no, it's not going to be like in two weeks you will ask us to do something non-trivial. And since we will be picking the system, we will be, we will be in trouble. Um, so I'm thinking that's the uh, that's why I would say like uh, given that you had the knowledge, like given that you didn't have to invest that that learning, it is always the right choice to go with a headless system. And I think in the in the near future, it will be the only thing people will be moving to. Uh, but right now, like you said, there is like the the investment in knowledge about uh, about for example WordPress is huge, uh, um, and 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 and. And then that kind of should add some nuance to that picture to when to kind of invest. 
for people who are not necessarily developers, but are more business people trying to make a decision as to, you know, what type of website they want, what type of backend they want, what, how do they want it to re, uh, look like and feel like, how do they want to work with it, what are their workflows, they have to make a decision. Uh, I want my developers to make a website in WordPress. I want my developers to make a website with headless CMS. For headless CMS, what are kind of the constraints or what are the pairings with front ends that are most optimal? Or is there an optimal pairing between headless CMS and say, is it better to work with Java? Is it better to work with React? Uh, what can it interface with? What can the API most pair with best or communicate or transfer the data between? How would you talk to, say, a business person saying, tell me about how I would instruct my developers to work with headless CS CMS? Hmm. So at this time, like if, if this is a kind of a, a, a new project, I would be, it should have a really, really great reason to not go with JavaScript on the front end. It's something about that, uh, the fact that it can run the same codes, uh, it can be partially run uh, locally and in the browser. It's kind of, it kind of just makes a lot of sense. Uh, so like the way we think at least, and back also in the agency days, any code that like en ends up running some, like interacting with the browser, that's JavaScript in our books always. Even though we love, for example, Go and and Rust for other systems, like if it renders like to the to a to a to a, to a browser, it's JavaScript. Now you can you can pick and choose. Well, very often now with great frameworks like uh, like Gatsby or Next.js, you can even it can even be transparent to the developer. I can have code like first run on the server, and then later if someone interacts with the site, that some of that code can run in the browser, and I don't don't even have to kind of think about that a lot uh, as a developer. So, so I would say like that's a like not doing that would be an interesting decision. You have some systems like uh, Hugo, for example, being able to do static renders really fast. If that's like very important, that's something to consider. Uh, feeding data into these uh, systems. Um, I think that, uh, I, I think like Hugo often, often expects uh, YAML and Markdown. Sanity, for example, and I'm sure other systems can easily deliver that as kind of one of their, their outputs. Uh, more traditionally, like JSON-based stuff, really works, of course, well, well with basically anything, but especially well with, with JavaScript. Uh, and then I would say, as a as a as, as someone who's like, I I really I really love these kind of let's call it like I think to me like business optimal solutions. They are able to be tactical. When I start off, like I should be able to to get to value really quickly, and then since that's always like you think it's a four week project, but actually it's a life. It's a it has a life cycle. It always ends up having that. So one of the design kind of goals we had for Sanity was that it should be incredibly fast to get up and running, and then you should be it should pay off to keep investing in it. It shouldn't be like you shouldn't be punished for that upfront simplicity. And I, I think that's a lot of the ethos in this space with, with also the front-end frameworks is like, it should be incredibly quick to do the common things. And then when you want to do the advanced stuff, it should be possible and reasonable. Uh, and that's where I feel very often with the monolithic systems, you can do everything, but you shouldn't like, because you are going to be hacking into those systems and it's 
painful. And when you need to upgrade, you're going to be paying all of that once more. Is my experience. Uh, what I'm really interested in is uh, how we can set up the data structures and how granular we can get. Because one thing I usually tend to recommend is uh, we deal with connections um, or relationships in uh, SQL with an ID-based web, essentially. And for everything else, we can just go NoSQL, MongoDB, or Couchbase, or whatever else, really. And uh, from what I'm hearing, it, it feels like uh, Headless CMS tends to focus on the NoSQL side of things and kind of a looser um, model definition. I am not sure if I, I got that correctly, but... <laughs> No, it's a great it's a great question. It's, I think that's where we where we also decided very early to like that's one of the motivating factors. I felt that a lot of headless like the early days headless CMS had a, had a lot of strict limitations of what kind of data structures you could design, and as a developer, it was, was frustrating. It felt like uh, now I have to design my system so that it fits with like their idea of how data should be modeled and I, and my 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 editors have to fit to their idea of how content should be edited i feel like that should be a freedom we should we should be the people who connect those editors to the data structures and those data structures should be the way i did i designed them so one of the criteria was like you should be able to design any any reasonable json structure uh, should be able to be expressed uh, and then have a have a kind of an intuitive user interface um, another thing that you're touching upon is this kind of query in your your data and and that's another thing that we really wanted we wanted the backend the content backend to be a database not a content api so that's why we designed a, a, a query language called grok which is Basically, SQL for for JSON. It's a it's a query language uh, having the same kinds of capabilities uh, as SQL, but JSON has like SQL is for tables, and uh, SQL is uh, JSON is more like tree tree shaped. So so Grok is is SQL for tree shaped data structures, and like you said, we tried to be. So go ahead. You, you just you just blew my mind. So so you built. <laughs> query language that has the same same or very similar capabilities as SQL, but for data that is stored in uh, JSON structures in bulk. Yes, and all this is open source. So you can download uh, Grok.js wow. uh, uh, and, and play with it. And, and our backend, of course, uh, then is able to run this at scale. And the point being, uh, uh, I design all these data structures the way I like them. And then using Grok, my front end can go and, and basically provide a recipe. like. Give me the this story that I'm looking for. They fetch the text, the title, the main image, and the authors, but only the names and images of the authors and the bio of the main author. And then also take these featured stories, just fetch the names of those. So you, you can have this really complicated kind of uh, recipe. Uh, this becomes one request to the backend. It gets cached as one thing. So it will, for most users, it will take like a millisecond to serve. Uh, it will be stored locally for you. So like we, we did all of this to make sure you can just design this as like for the developers. It should be, it should be natural in the way you want to think. For the content editor, it should be natural in the way they want to think. And then actually, 
one thing we discovered that we didn't, this was not by design. This was something we discovered when we started doing it this way. We hashing out kind of content uh, models with Sanity or I guess other systems as well. It's very easy. And, and, and customers struggle to think about content models in, in the abstract. But when they can sit there with you, with the CMS in front of them, and you say, oh, yeah, it needs an image. Ah, you, we should have some tags, maybe some taxonomy. And you can kind of help them uh, uh, in real time, just add these things. Now, suddenly, the conversation, like you said, uh, is about what content do we need to, to have. And what happens then is this unlocks this kind of completely kind of parallel workflow. Because in the past, very often, you work with the designs. And that's where the requirements come from. That's kind of what people can reason about. And back, you backtrack from there, you design the content model, and then you create the content. Very often, the product is delayed because the content is coming last. When we do it this way, suddenly the designers, the developers, and the content creators can just work in parallel. And everyone's work kind of uh, gets ready in, in, in parallel. And then in content informs design, design informs code, and, and all of this informs the evolution of the content model. Which is to me was like completely new, and and it kind of blew my mind when I realized like our our third customer worked for two years before we started coding the site. They just worked on putting in the content, which is a huge job. But we just set up the content system first, and then we went and did all the other work. And then when they were like fifty percent done, we started coding up something and started looking at how it would end up looking. Actually, the uh, next podcast that we are recording, and I, I don't know if I'll release it before this one or after this one is actually on content modeling, oh. uh, which I, I think is a really important subject because, you know, if, you know, the content, if, if headless CMS is the bowl, then content is the soup and they kind of have to work together. They, they, they have a, a dependent relationship on, e on each other. Uh, and so the content has to be put together and modeled in a way that fits whatever the application is in the mechanism for distribution, which is what headless CMS in a sense is. How critical is the content modeling? To, to what extreme should somebody go? Or does Sanity have tools to help people with content modeling? Or is that something you're thinking of in the future? So I don't know if you talked to her, but Carrie Hain, she wrote uh, Designing Connected Content. She's her, uh, she's our head of uh, content strategy relations. Uh, and that's how important this is to us. Like we, we really, we are building a department of people just working with content creators, product owners, uh, and, and, and educating them about, about how to do it and, 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 and the importance of it and, and the values that it kind of unlocks. Um, like our, our tooling, uh, like the, the 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 strongest part of this for with, with Sanity is that you can see, uh, you can change, you can edit the code underlying the kind of editing experience, and in real time, immediately the studio reloads. You will see the CMS as it as it evolves. So we've talked to a lot of developers who basically sit down with their customers and just do this in real time on a on a Zoom call or like in the same room with a projector in the olden days. Um, and that really works. That's really powerful, and and it really helps people like bring people together. Um, I we are much very much like a content model first philosophy. What we mean by that is that that 
that is the thing that ties all of the stakeholders together. Like the product owners, the designers, the developers, and the content creators, all kind of that's that's the kind of hub that that brings this this group together. When you unlock that single uh, piece of information, everyone is kind of free to create value. Uh, so so in a sense, like by by figuring that out early, it kind of makes everyone equal. It 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 it, 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 it if you say content first, which is like a Another way of saying this, now you suddenly have, everyone has to wait for the content. By doing content bubble first, everyone can start moving. Uh, one of the traditionally very painful development activities is uh, updating our content model. So, right, we have a very rigid, very set in stone <laughs> SQL model. And every time we want to add a column or a table or anything, it's, it's a difficult and uh, rig rigorous process. So I was one, uh, and it comes with its um, uh, caveats, right? My favorite one being is how do you handle uh, data that is now required, but was not required in the past? What is the default value or what is the, uh, what, what if we change it the other way? Like it was required, but now it's uh, nullable. How do we handle that or <laughs> whatever? So how does that go? Uh, it's a great point. So what were the, the kind of, the the the, the 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 abstraction, the mental model that you have when you're using the sanity kind of database is that is a collection of JSON uh, documents. It's just that it's just a list of JSON documents. Like of course, under the hood, it's like some complicated index and lots of stuff. But like that's how you can think about it. Uh, so when you uh, add a new data type, you can say. You, you will just pro proclaim it to exist and nothing, none of the data will actually change. You just say like, now when you create a document, this thing exists. You can say like for any new value like this, it has this, this specific value. Let's say like I'm creating, I, I have a list of products and uh, we didn't have categories for them because in the past we had just, just five products, but now we need like some category definitions. And we'll say like all our products used to be uh, the category default. <laughs> but then, and then, then, uh, and then we'll add, add uh, as we go. And then what you can do is you say, I add this new thing. And then I'll say like, there's seven categories and the default will be that it's a, it's a candy because 90% of product is candy. So, so that will be my, my initial value as we say. Your front end will have to make its own definition. So we'll say like, if there is a missing value, this is the, the value I will go by. So I will know that the value is missing. I will decide myself what it what it should be. If you act so 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 RD is like you should be able to you, you need to write code that's kind of um that is uh, able to handle this missing information because it used to be missing. So what you do is like you you basically write your you evolve your front end to now also be able to handle that there might be a category, and then you add the categories to the products, and now the, the front end reacts. Uh, do you have any interesting insight into data type changes? So let's say I, I used to have a field that uh, was a string, but now I decided that I want to have it as a Boolean or, <laughs> you know, decimal, whatever. Yeah, no, this is so a, this is a this hard is problem. A really uh, yeah. So what uh, some of our customers do and what we want to, 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 to uh, build into the platform going forward is having an API uh, in front of like so so like what we actually want to be doing is to have a 
have you defined GraphQL APIs that are specific to your frontends in terms of Graph, like our internal query language? Because now you can then, you can even version those. So let's say you have a series of books and in the beginning you did the, did the typical mistake of having books having author. Uh, so now all your books, uh, you add uh, 700 books and then you realize there are compilations and there are other things where like you have several authors, but you already have like seven different frontends out there in the world that even might be installed on people's devices. So you might not even control when they are updated. So our idea is you create like a new API. It will have authors. It will look at the data. If there is a single author, it will just wrap it in an ar array. If it is updated, it will serve the array that's, that's there. So basically that API abstraction will just do the kind of migration for you on the fly. Uh, and some of our customers who are like in e-commerce and stuff like that, who like really have loads of different frontends, they do that. They have like a, their own kind of uh, abstraction in front of the, uh, between the, our APIs. And, 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 and we want to build that actually into the, into the platform as a, as, a, as a feature, because I agree, like having a controlled API and a strongly typed API even if the backend is kind of malleable and quick to change, it's very valuable. You're talking a lot about APIs. Um, you know, when did you kind of decide with Sanity it will be API first versus, say, being Git-based? Uh, was there like a conscious decision on this or from the very beginning were you just focused on API? Yeah, no, that would like... Like we felt that, like, so we were doing the same thing as a lot of, I think people getting to going towards headless. We were doing like uh, YAML and the markdown in Git as our CMS for forever. And as long as your users are developers, that's awesome. Like there's nothing better than that. If you're, if you're having technical people do all the work, they're not afraid of touching Git and, and who, who understands why you can break the entire build by just changing a single letter in the YAML file. This is not something I want to give to 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 kind of people who aren't technical, and even myself when I'm not in my technical mode. Like I'm, I just want to get this story out. Please leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, so, so, so that was the first thing. So then you could have, you could say, like you could build it on top of Git still. Um, that next thing is like we don't think that uh, people should be dealing with merges in a normal day of operation. Like you shouldn't be making a version and then submitting that. Uh, we wanted people to see the same picture. So what the way Sanity works is like you have a draft and that's real time synced. Anyone looking at that draft will see exact same piece of content. And when and actually. We have built, and now I blow, blow your mind again on the bottom, we have built like a Git style system for distribution control. So as you type and do things, you create super small commits sent in real time oh, to the no backend. Way. These are distributed to everyone. If you do something and some, someone else touched that during the time that it took back and forth to the server, we actually rebase that content inside their browser to see the oh, changes that, that this sweet. other editor did before you. No one reacts to this because the, the people just think the the, the kind of uh, latency is, is super low, but it's actually like it, often a second if you're like in Australia, you don't notice that. This mm. is all based on like, we, we saw this presentation on, on like how to do real-time fighting games uh, over the over, on the network, like how they would, they would like look at like someone actually clicked a button in the past. They would like rewind to that frame, replay the gameplay, five new frames. Like we were doing that. Um, so actually we went for kind of a Git style thing. We wanted to be completely real time because we don't want people to deal with mergers at all. If you're doing Git right, you usually don't have to deal with mergers at all. So as you said, it's really basis. 
<laughs> always to be yeah but if uh, let's say because very often like um, if you're developers you very often have divided up the tasks so that you are working on different parts of the product so you very often like merges are very often clear like there you touch different files and if you didn't touch the same file it's very often very trivial in content it's very often the op opposite way because like we're doing a product release the whole team is basically working on the same three documents uh, for like oh. a week uh, so it's a very different oh. situation where like these kind of complicated merges where like someone changed a word in the same sentence that I moved and then yep. suddenly it becomes non-trivial and hard for the machine to just decide. That's why it's yeah, much it's easier really to see it at the same like time. That. Like, <laughs> if I change one word in, in, in one line and then change another word in the same line, Git is just like... Uh, Good luck. <laughs> what do you change that line? So... Uh, <laughs> Even know. developers hate doing like <laughs> these merges uh, when they become non-trivial because you just feel scared. I'm going to throw someone's work out. Uh, I don't know whose work. Uh, yeah, no, so we just didn't want to do that. Uh, but if, a fun thing is that by doing this, we have actually have the whole history of everything everyone has done. So you can actually git blame inside. You can go and see every down to every character. Like at like 7.34 p.m. Ooh. yesterday, like that person added this thing and we visualize it. Nice. So if you kind of move something, let's say like you change a crop of an image, we'll visualize like the crop. Simon changed the crop of this image at uh, this time. So, so it's, it's like uh, uh, the Git. It's like Git, just better it's, for content. It's, 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 it's the Git in Matrix. So it's like multi-dimensional <laughs> Git. Like not line-based, <laughs> but character-based. <laughs> it's like, yeah. If Neo was using Git, this would be how it would work. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Images has become very important in, in content and in CMS, but now video is also becoming extremely important in, in content. And I, I kind of want to have an understanding. You have a, an image pipeline. Uh, my understanding is Sanity offers an image pipeline uh, what about for video? Uh, video is much more complex than a single image. How are you guys handling video, uh, and are you planning to do anything like an image pipeline for video? It's a great question. Uh, like I, I, I agree. I feel like uh, so. Right now, we're partnering. Like very often, our customers are using Mux. If they're not using YouTube, or like uh, if they want to have control of their video, they would use Mux, and we have a great integrations with them that makes it feel. A little bit like a native uh, pipeline. Uh, a video is strangely uh, non-trivial. Like uh, it seems like, for example, having real-time uh, video conversations is still. I thought that by this year we would that would be like completely um, commoditized. Like everyone would be doing it with fifty people and stuff. Still hard. Uh, encoding video uh, at uh, scale in uh, fast and uh, delivery to every device all over the world. It's um, it's not some. It's not. It feels like a derailment. Like I think we would partner with someone to be honest. Like the the okay yeah no I don't I don't I think it's a, such a huge. Uh, we have bigger more pressing uh, value to create. Uh, I would leave that to, okay. to to some specialists. Yeah, it would be a my well, that's Maybe perfect. I would not rule it out, but I feel like there's so many interesting things that that is also hard. That's uh, I, let's hope someone commoditizes that and we can just kind of buy that service. 
that's what I was. Got it. Got it. So, <laughs> so, so you did mention that you have other things that you would want to approach first. What are, what are some of the things <laughs> that you would like to approach and, and bring into sanity for the future? There are so many things, but I, I think that one thing we really are fascinated by is this, like right now we are real-time collaboration between uh, content editors. What we don't, and we, we see a lot of people uh, partnering with service providers like translation services and having that just integrated into Santis. So basically automatically at some point, it will be sent to a translation service and the translations are integrated into their Santi contents transparently. And this is something people have to build right now. I think we should kind of make sure those kinds of integrations and workflows are more kind of turnkey. Uh, and one dream we always had was like having uh, systems Let's say you have an entity extraction system that helps you kind of mark up things. This is like an address. This is a person. I'm linking this to a product. Stuff like that. We would love that to to feel like like a like a collaborative thing. Like I'm working in the document on this service that we kind of have purchased and integrated. It keeps helping me, and it will kind of mark up things and suggest things for me. Being able to to have an API and a system where that's easy for for service providers to add these kind of interactions, both at the kind of systems level, but also in the visual kind of user interfaces, that's a dream we ha we, we we have. Um, and also, I think that the whole like we feel that a lot of the there's so many terrible collaboration systems, <laughs> and I think uh -huh. that. Yeah, I think that being able to to coordinate and collaborate better at the higher level, that's something we really, really um, are working on. In many content situations, uh, particularly related to social media, but it's now kind of becoming that way with even simple content flows to like a website, uh, and that's scheduling. Uh, you know, they have uh, services like Buffer where you can load up a whole bunch of social media content uh, and it will distribute it at certain times to certain platforms and interface. Does Sanity have a kind of a content scheduling system or feature? Uh, or is that something that is completely separate? So, yes, this is something we see a lot of requests for. Uh, in the past, people have been building their own like we we are I mean we're re really preoccupied with having people be able to like customize and build exactly the workflows they need, but it turns out that at at a certain level like this is something that people just want like the basic scheduling things to just be out of the box. So 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 that will be something I think I would be be looking for uh, in a Santi release not not far in the future. Another thing that I'm seeing in content or content kind of concepts is the atomization of content, where somebody types in a long piece of content, say, into a CMS system, and then they either use other tools or different tools to break that content into smaller segments or maybe convert some of those segments from a written piece of content into an automated uh, video content using AI. Those are some of the different kind of applications or breaking down of content is Sanity IO able to support those type of things, or is it something that if the somebody types in a piece of content into Sanity, can it export that content into some of these atomizers or the AI that converts it from text to video and, and, and that type of stuff? 
or is it stuff that maybe those things can integrate into uh, sanity with? Yeah, it's definitely something we 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 don't have a lot of like out of the box uh, integrations like that. But what uh, is always the crux when you're trying to do this is knowing what the different pieces of content is intended to mean, right? Like this is a location, this is an intro, this is a reference to a person, and that's where like sanity really excels, making sure like that when you put in your content, it's encoded according to, like it's intuitive and easy to do, but it's encoded according to like a, a schema, uh, which then helps these downstream systems really uh, be helpful. Uh, well, an example that's like uh, uh, more like bread and butter and very, very um, important right now in terms of accessibility is voice, for example. So being able to 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 transform an article to voice or be to have it powered like a voice assistant. These are things that are people are building a lot using Sanity because you can even then you can even add like markup that's specific to voice and have that be hidden in 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 uh, in, a, in a visual rendition, but like be like say emphasis or like it's a joke. You want to have it like a special kind of voice for that. Uh, you can you can you can do that with Sanity. So so people are doing a lot of that actually. Uh, one company is using uh, Sanity to power the teaching script for a first aid help training doll, like it's content for basically like a like a like a CPR training doll. So like you have all of these like non-traditional kind types of content, and like like I think you're alluding at this is getting more and more common. Like you're having a setup box, you're having a Steam page for your product, you're having like all of these outlets that you need to coordinate. Maybe you're having a fast food uh, kind of company. You're having your content in your ordering kiosks on your um, on your kind of in-store uh, kind of uh, signage. You also have to ship this content to DoorDash and Uber Eats and like international. Like what what are the local delivery services and how does their menu systems work? These are things that people are using Sanity for right now to make sure that like one marketing team can work on this content and have it just kind of fed into all the systems and they don't even have to like know about it. Uh, and one team can add a new outlet like, uh, yeah, we're going to support Fedora in Norway. And that team could just go do that and not even talk to the content people or not have an engineer build a new API, which is very powerful. Draft-based editing is a huge boom to contributors. Um, can you tell us a little bit about draft-based editing or how Sanity handles it? The reason I'm having to think a little bit, I did, I did never ever thought about any other way of doing it. So I just have to kind of try to imagine what uh, something else would be. But maybe it means that it's a shared draft. So like in, in one sense, like in the traditional world, like your draft would be whatever's on your screen and it's private to you. Uh, and in the worst systems, that's local. And if two people submit the same document after each other, they would overwrite each other's changes. In slightly better systems, there would be like some lock. Like I, I can't kind of have a private copy until someone else kind of checks in theirs. Uh, to us, it was very obvious. Like you need like like back to the fact that very often, even in small teams, even when we were like a 10 person company, when we had like some release, some communication event, we would be editing the same documents at the same time. It will always be contention in those kind of uh, few documents that were related to the release. So making sure that there are shared drafts that can be worked on in, in, in synchronously, uh, that everyone sees the same source of truth. It's incredibly important, I think. Uh, it should be uh, it's very hard to do. Well, <laughs> technically, but yeah, it's very we obvious. we actually kind of 
we run into this problem because uh, we'll be putting up an article uh, and either myself who writes a lot of them or, or we'll have other people, we'll be on the looking at the same document at the same time uh, in a system trying to work on it. We kind of solved the problem uh, because our, our past website was WordPress and we'd have kind of this conflict of overriding uh, and people making changes at the same time. We kind of did that through uh, Google Docs where we would kind of massage the content with two or three people going over it and discussing it. And then once we were really finished, we would then say, okay, we're locking this in, and then we would upload it and put it into the content management system there. It would certainly be easier and more efficient if we could just do it through the, the back end, the, the content management system. And there's another uh, reason for that, because as, the, as you mentioned earlier, increasingly the content isn't just about text. So that's one of our main drivers to make sure that is uh, effective, is that we want people to author structured content. We don't want them to author just the text. Okay, so a lot of our customers uh, in the media space are using Sanity to create these kind of rich feature stories. Like, where they're, like as you scroll, things are evolving, things are being animated and stuff like that. And and this is content that, like, if you did that whole thing in uh, in in uh, in Google Docs, uh, you would kind of be slanted towards focusing on the text, whereas you want the, your your editors and like your reviewers to focus on that whole experience. Uh, and we also commenting on timing of animations, something like when an image comes in and stuff like that. So I think that's absolutely vital. And that's why we invested, like it took us more than a year to get all of this stuff in place. But that was being able to have structured content be the native content model and what you collaborate about. And I think increasingly, like you talk about video and stuff, increasingly there won't even be a lot of text in this content and there'll still be uh, content. So, so I think that notion that content art is text is kind of, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting outdated, I guess. So I'm a tiny bit familiar with uh, GraphQL, but uh, apparently Grok is much better. And since it's much better, you recommend using it over GraphQL. Uh, could you give us a little context on that? Why that is, uh, how it's better? So we, we don't say that. So, so we we, we right, uh, right. as a company we, invest. Right. Oh, did you do? Ah, sorry. Like you, you said that. Sorry. <laughs> so we make it a point to say, like we, to us, kind of saying the one is better than the other is a little bit like saying uh, a drill is better than a fork. It's it's good for different things. Uh, sometimes you need a hole. Right. Sometimes you need to eat. Uh, Grok <laughs> is, as I said, it's a query language. That's a problem with GraphQL is that it's called a query language. It, is a great API pattern. So uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, like the uh, challenge with, with Grok is that when your content model changes, your Grok kind of API also changes. That might not be what you want. So uh, we think Grok is fantastic for as a query language, uh, whereas GraphQL is fantastic for controlled, stable APIs. When GraphQL really gets terrible is when you create dynamic GraphQL, like like most headless CMSs do. Like when you change your content model, your GraphQL uh, API magically changes. Now everything breaks, all your types changed, uh, and it's just the worst of two worlds. Also, GraphQL is really great at having like these controlled, well-defined ways of curing your data, which are fantastic when these are intentionally designed by someone creating an API. Terrible when a system basically just has created every possible 
like what to to use GraphQL as a query language, you just basically create every possible query that you could make, and you just unfold this this incredibly huge GraphQL API. Is we also do this, by the way. Like we also have this because it's kind of a people ask for it. We we did it, but but I hate that. What I what we really want uh, and what we're moving towards is having people be able to create, basically define a uh, GraphQL API map it to Grok queries and then basically keeping Grok queries behind the scenes like basically make keeping that inside sanity and having a type safe stable api as their interaction point with the front end that's what we're going for that's what we think is good and that's where graphql is fantastic it goes super well with the typescript uh, so so yes we actually recommend graphql but it's not quite there yet like you have to right now you have to create this kind of interface yourself and it's hard to scale stuff. so i wouldn't do it right now i think for most people, seems to be that Grok is the best choice. And if you have like a typical one consumer scenario and you can manage it pretty tightly, it's the best thing for, for most people. That's what most people do. But for if you have multiple consumers, uh, fast evolving content level, you might like some customers are then building their own kind of interfaces and we will support that natively in the future. But I love both. I think they're both great, even though I designed one of them. The other one is also fantastic for what it's for. So, um, Simon, where do you think headless CMS is going in the future? What do you think are uh, the opportunities for headless CMS uh, as a, a development solution? If you had to say, how is it going to evolve? What is it going to evolve into? Or what are the things that, that will be involved in headless CMS? So, right now... I think partly because of the Jamstack uh, scene and the kind of uh, affinity between the Jamstack kind of space and, and Headless. Headless is seen as kind of a tactical marketing tool. It's for these kind of uh, smaller, fast-moving uh, things. What we are seeing is these huge corporations coming in, uh, seeing the benefit of this. Most of the systems aren't ready for that, but like having enterprise ready uh, uh, headless CMSs uh, is the big kind of, let's call it like that. Even like you have enterprises using headless right now, but they're often using it for tactical, smaller smaller things. We see the big co big companies coming in using Sanity for, for, for demanding applications. Uh, and we are kind of uh, uh, ready for, for like specific sweet spot use cases like that, which really works well. But I think like maturing that, having the having the really systems working well at like complex organizations that have complex collaboration workflows, uh, hybrid ownership between different teams, uh, different kind of even partners that kind of feed content into the organization. That level of stuff is very mature at this point, and I think that's where Headless really needs to go to 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 kind of capture that that value. Yeah. And it's something that these that the enterprise really, really needs. I think that headless CMS is going to have a very interesting future, and we look forward to working with it ourselves on projects for our clients. Uh, Simon, it's been really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. To all our listeners, we look forward to presenting our next podcast in a month. So stay tuned and take care and happy trails. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. (laughs) 